Hey, we're back to April 5th. Digital Bytes, the newsletter that we cover. We have a repeat friend showing up. Johnny, I like when you bring the repeat friends because we already have that repertoire. You know what I mean? You got Helen Disney over at the Realization Group, right? Absolutely. Helen got, got an American surname, but she's very much an English rose, aren't you, Helen? It's a small <laughs> world after all. How charming of you to say so, Johnny. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Helen, th- yeah, thank you for coming on the show and wel- welcome back. And I'm quite intrigued because it's always great when people do primary research and you- your company, the Realisation Group, um, f- if I can sort of summarise what you do, you-, you sort of straddle the sort of the two markets of the sort of fintech and emerging businesses. Some of them are involved, obviously, in, in sort of using DLTs and blockchains and digital assets. And you've got traditional firms who are looking at this era and thinking, well, how do we get involved in it? How do we make that sort of this sort of I love your term, you sort of the era of convergence. And you've done some work around that, haven't you? Yes. I mean, the realization group grew up really from traditional finance. So most of the founders and sort of core team of the company come from either trade or post-trade or some aspect of financial markets. So we're very much steeped in the traditional finance world. But obviously over the last several years, fintech has grown enormously particularly in London, where we're based. Um, and then also, you know, within fintech, you've got my specialist area, which is blockchain and digital assets. And so we're starting, as you say, to see the firms from the traditional side launching digital asset arms or go-to-market strategies in crypto or, you know, wanting to have some involvement in that field and wanting to know how to position themselves correctly in that market. But equally, we've got a lot of startups and scale-ups who are doing the pioneering things in technology who are now starting to, you know, create services that cross over with a traditional market as well. So we are kind of in this convergence between the two. And what we try and do with our Financial Markets Insights program is, you know, identify areas where we think there's common themes across the market where people have a mutual interest in understanding a particular new trend or something that's going on, try to create some thought leadership around that, speak to experts in the field, and so that's what we do on a regular basis within that program of work. Okay, all right, and that's that, that's really, thank you. That's really really helpful. I think sort of set the scene because you know you, you've you've picked quite a thorny issue here. You know how how do you restore trust in digital assets when? Well, certainly I think you've got a really hard job in America, but I'm sure James will come on to that in a minute. But but in terms of restoring trust in a, in an asset class, which it, it's it's had its fair share of sort of trials and tribulations with. You know, the likes of sort of, you know, the Ronnie, the Ronnie Briggs, the, the Ronin Bridge attack, where there was over 600 odd million worth of Ethereum stolen. And then we had all the hassles with FTX. So can they really restore trust? How, how do they go about it? What, what's your thoughts? I mean, we certainly have picked a, you know, very topical subject and also, as you say, quite a difficult one, because I think trust has always been an issue in digital assets right since the beginning, particularly if you look at how it's been viewed by traditional financial markets. You know, Bitcoin was very mistrusted. There was huge scepticism around the whole idea of cryptocurrencies before they even became known as digital assets. And obviously what happened last year, you know, we had a number of firms, you know, going bust, not just obviously the famous collapse of FTX and all of its kind of affiliates and related firms that have now been affected by the fallout from that, but also you know, hacks and other companies that were quite significant in the market that have been shown up to, you know, not be very robust for various reasons. So what we wanted to do was talk to people in the industry to say, well, look, you know, 
is it just about regulation? Should the regulators be doing more? Is there something that the industry should be doing to restore that trust? And if so, you know, what should we be doing as an industry to to make people feel a bit better about we do? Because there are obviously many good people working in the industry trying to do good things. But now this sort of another set of reputational damage has come along and, and made it a bit harder for people, whether it's harder to speak to regulators or harder to get investment or, you know, harder to just, you know, run their companies on a day-to-day basis. And Helen, how much do you think realistically, I know a lot of the, to be fair, you're involved much more on what I'd call digital assets as opposed to pure crypto, but I know you've got clients that are involved in crypto, but the, the crypto community, you know, back, you know, back when the advent of sort of Bitcoin was very much sort of, if I can sort of generalise, it was anti-establishment, a solution that didn't rely on institutions and the banks, and and therefore we don't need regulation. Yet on the other side, you've got a whole load of clients that are very highly regulated. Do you think we can actually start drawing on the experience? Because the reason we've got these rules and regulations is because people have done naughty things in the past and they've bought up. So therefore we have a rule book. So you can't front run and you can't tell porky pies to your clients. And, you know, there are certain standards which, you know, we take for granted in the financial markets. Do you think we can start borrowing some of those standards, some of those ideas, some of the things that have been tried and tested and bring it into the sort of the digital space? Well, I think actually there are many people that are already trying to do that. And I think, you know, those are the ones that are probably benefiting, you know, without wanting to have seen the damaging impact on investors. But those companies are seeing a sort of flight to quality now, whether they're traditional institutions that have tried to bring digital assets to their clients, you know, with all the regulatory licenses and safeguards that they already have, but just bring in new asset class or whether they're firms that are building, for example, you know, robust custody solutions to keep crypto assets safe. So there are already people that are doing those good things, but they sort of almost got a little bit drowned out in the noise about all the bad stuff that was going on. I think now the dust has settled, you know, it's sort of one of the participants in the report that we spoke to, CEO of PolySign, Jack McDonald, and he sort of come up with this phrase, boring is the new sexy you know, and it is that—that—that that, that is what we're trying to do now. You know, that the good people in the industry, you know, they want to use qualified custodians. They want to have insurance. They want to have separation of, you know, duties between exchanges and custodians, so that you can't, you know, commingle clients' funds and things like that. And all of that is really positive because that's what we need. Right, right. Look, James, this could be our time. A boring couple of chaps like you and I could suddenly become sexy. What do you reckon, James? Speak for yourself. Now, wait a minute. I'm already sexy, you think? I'll leave that to your missus decide on that one. Right. What are your thoughts, James? I know, I know you're very, very frustrated by what's happening in the US, but, you know, but there's obviously something's got to happen to restore the trust back in this sector if it's going to move forward in any meaningful way, hasn't it? Well... Yeah, and this is a little controversial for, I guess, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but my experience with, you know, with CyberFM, we have regular users, right? The regular blockchain and what do you call the cryptocurrency people that focus only on Bitcoin and ETH and their money, as opposed to what we want to see with digital assets. But restoring trust overall, I mean, this was a bad year i think the only way that we're gonna in the u.s side is make some changes on the government level about regulation we take a back seat often 
And then when we do say something in a regulatory environment, we're suing someone. I had a conversation recently with people that were like, we spend more time suing than maybe if we were actually doing our job watching what the good folks at FTX were doing or why would Silicon Valley Bank have this issue? Everybody's, the people that regular people focus on for trust and support in finance are kind of letting us down. So you could argue about the myths and misunderstandings of the way the, the technology works, but I think this Helen covered over a little bit. The rules of engagement might need to be top down for a little while. And I'm not really a top down guy, but if we're going to improve processes and regulatory ideologies and putting that out in the media, I'm speaking to you, Jay Powell, make the entire financial system a little bit more trustworthy. And we'll, as a society, be more than happy to talk about CBDCs. And eventually, when I want to trade Tesla as a tokenized equity in Europe, I'm not going to question it. I'll be happy. I'll trust it. Okay. It made okay. me soapbox a little bit. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's fine. Helen, I'm interested because I know you've got clients in the US and obviously clients here in Europe. Do, 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 do you sense there's a, there's a difference in terms of their, their approach to how you know, trust could be restored or, or is there broad consensus? I think the US has definitely taken a more hardline approach, but it's interesting what James said, because in a way what's happening is we don't give a clear signal as a regulator. We wait for someone to mess up in inverted commas in whatever way. And then we you know we pursue actions against people who are seen to have broken the rules when maybe the rules weren't very clear in the first place. Obviously, there's some examples where the rules are very clear, but there are others where, you know, companies are having to essentially interpret for themselves, you know, how should I treat crypto assets when it comes to tax? Or how, how should I know whether or not my token is a, you know, a security or not? And some of these things in the early days of the technology, you know, wasn't clear how it was treated in law or how it was going to be treated by regulators. And so, you know, even good companies had to sort of make a best case guess and judgment. And sometimes that was then retrospectively attacked. So I think there needs to be a lot more clarity around regulation. And I think the US at the moment is going down the route of we're going to be, you know, hardline enforcers because that will show that we're tough on on crypto and tough on the causes of crypto, you know, rather than saying, well, look, let's also, you know, be very clear about taxonomy and definitions and, you know, what counts as a, an appropriate stable coin regime to, you know, back that asset or, you know, all these different questions that we have, I think. You know, Europe has provided a bit more clarity. We've got, you know, the market in crypto assets regulation, MICA, coming out, and that's going to happen. And I think it's, you know, for all its kind of flaws or, you know, criticisms, it's at least given people a framework to work towards and everyone's preparing for it now. And the same in the UK, we're starting to look at things a bit more closely around stable coins with the financial markets and regulations bill that's coming out, you know. So um, there's a whole mixture of different things going on. but. I think, you know, one thing is the clarity. Companies would really welcome it to know, you know, what they should be doing and what's expected of them. And then I think the other part is the industry itself, you know, should just get on and do it. So, you know, companies need to make sure they're ring-fencing customer assets, you know, doing proper KYC on their customers before they onboard them, you know, learning the lessons from the 20, you know, 2008 financial crisis, 
you know, we need kind of risk frameworks and applying, you know, prudential rules to investments. I mean, all these things, as you've said at the beginning, you know, traditional financial markets came up with these rules for a reason, because you need to protect the investor and there's always going to be bad actors. So why would digital assets be any different? It's an asset class that grew up from the ground up rather than from the top down, like some other asset classes. But, you know, it's it's moved into the institutional world now and therefore it has to be treated exactly the same way, really. It's 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 very different from you and I deciding to trade crypto. If we decide to, you know, buy Bitcoin and trade with each other, that's our free choice and we can do that peer to peer. But when you're investing and dealing with millions of dollars of somebody else's money and it's a client, you know, there has to be rules and safeguards around that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and isn't it funny? We we keep talking about risk, and we talk about risk controls, and and there we have, you know, a number of banks, as as you say in your article, that unfortunately have 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 fallen over. You know, put very poor risk controls, and and bizarrely, you know, the Fed have been via the SEC have been very 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 tough on certain country companies um in the US. Yeah, it seems to have quite a lackadaisical attitude uh, with some of the banks, and its solution seems to be we'll just give them a load more money. That's not really great risk control, I would contend. But uh, no, re- re- really interesting and looking. I know you've got a report coming out, Restoring Trust in Digital Assets, which will be interesting. You're going to go into a lot more detail with some of the interviews that you've carried out with people here in Europe and and also in America. So that'd be, uh, be really interesting. So, yeah. Helen, thank you for coming on. Any final thoughts before we, before we wrap up? I think the final thought really that probably came out of it is that there are still a lot of myths in the media. And unfortunately, with these kind of scandals that happened, you know, those myths sort of get recirculated and maybe skew some of the press coverage. And it does you know, cover up the fact that there is a lot of good things going on. There is a lot of innovation, but we just need to make sure the innovation is combined with, you know, the appropriate structures and safeguards to mean that people can benefit from this very important and good side of the technology, you know, we, we can do a lot of new things. We can innovate, make things more efficient, do new things that we haven't been able to do before. And perhaps the silver lining of it all is that, you know, this will kind of reset the way institutions look at the business and hopefully, you know, weed out some of the, the risk and bad actors that we had and make the industry more healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and Helen, I think added to that, I think we're going to see, we're already seeing lots of examples of institutions very much engaging in digital assets where like the digitization of real world assets, equities, bonds, real estate, you know, even mutual funds. And, and, you know, at the moment, most of the activity around digital assets tends to be crypto, NFT, you know, that type of thing. But I think over the next year, certainly, you know, we're going to see more and more institutional money actually, you know, bringing out digital assets that are backed by real assets. And that's easier for people to understand. The reason they're bringing these out is because it's cheaper, faster, and arguably much stronger compliance controls around some of these things. So I think that that will help to restore trust, as you say, in the overall sector. A really good point. And I mean, all the more reason to get the market infrastructure healthy, because, you know, once pretty much any asset that you can think of as a security is being tokenized and digitized and traded, you've got to have the right custody. You've got to have the right, you know, safeguards for the exchanges. You've got to have the right market rules and regulations. And if that massive opportunity of tokenization is going to take off you've got to have the right things in place before that happens brilliant okay well thank you helen and and james i'm delighted one of your fellow american compatriots jack mcdonald boring is sexy so there is there could be life for a couple of old dogs like us after all we'll get there we'll get there 
<laughs> All right, Helen, thank you very much indeed. And hopefully Thanks we'll get for having you back me. in a couple of months. You're very, very Thanks, welcome. Helen.